Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. I'm still quite new at being a host in this One Football Podcast. I, I don't have, I don't make the jokes that Ian does. I don't speak as fast as he does. It's not a, it's not a bad thing. Exactly. I, I don't like his humor anyway. <laughs> horrible, horrible person. Be careful what you're gonna say because he might be listening to this, and I'm the one editing it. So I'm the one choosing what part of the intro comes in the podcast or not. So, but anyway, thanks a lot, guys. Uh, Champions League night, lots of matches. So let's get started. Uh, well, if you haven't heard the news yet, Ian McCourt will be absent from this podcast for a while. So I'm Joana Bueno and I'm delighted to replace him, talk to you about Champions League quarterfinals. And we got some really good matches, so stay tuned. We have a lot to talk about. Joining me today is Tomas Bourguignon. Hello, hello guys. Hello everyone. And Helge Voltman. Hello. Did I say your name correctly, Helge? Uh, the first name, yeah. The second, a little... A little off, but but still, but still getting there. I guess that's the first time I speak your surname because you're just Helge, so. Yeah, it's also uh, my wife struggled for the first couple of years that we were together to to say it. So it's it's not like don't worry about it. <laughs> okay, well, good to know because we don't need to teach each other with surnames here. So let's just go straight to business. We get some pretty good matches, some others not so interesting, but let's get started with the biggest of them all. Bayern 2, PSG 3. Was this the match everyone was expecting? I mean, this was the match that we were everyone very much looking forward to. Uh, You know, the final of last season's Champions League, but that was much better than the final, don't you think? (laughs) Who wants to get started, Thomas? Definitely, I mean... It was it was an epic game. It, it was the the kind of game that you that you expect in the at this time of the of the season. But last time last night particularly, it was it was epic. All the the ingredients of the game, the snow, uh, the, the 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 empty stadium with this huge Bayern Munich uh, uh, signage uh, in front of the of the camera. Honestly, it looked like a, a Game of Thrones football game. You know, winter was really there, <laughs> and, and and it was a perfect crime uh, orchestrated by by Pochettino and and the PSG. It's a perfect scenario for for an epic Champions League game. I have to say that I've recently rewatched the whole Game of Thrones, so I have very much agree with what you're saying. That's a great <laughs> analogy. <laughs> Well, taking the chance that, you know, the opportunity that we have one Frenchman and one German here in the podcast with us. So why don't we go with your French vision of the match, Thomas? Uh, what did you think of PSG and Bayern's performance? Well, just to, 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 to give you a, a, an insight, uh, this morning the, the, the sun is shining on, on Paris. So I don't know what's the weather like in, uh, in Munich today, but uh, in Paris, uh, sun is shining. Everyone is, uh, is happy. No, but... Uh, to, to be serious, uh, honestly, my, my analysis of the game is that you, you could see the opposition between two very different uh, uh, clubs and, and teams. On one hand, you had a, a collective machine, uh, the, the Bayern Munich, who they, they applied their philosophy the entire game, even though it was also their weakness, because in my opinion, they probably attacked too, too, too much. Uh, versus PSG, and PSG is not a t- 
team is not a collective uh, force yet. You, you could see a, a rather like a group of, of talented individuals. They played with, uh, with attitude, with pride, which is good, and, and efficiency, of course, but they were, let's be honest, they, they, they were lucky as well to, 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 to win this game because uh, Bayern could have won, I don't know, 10-3, uh, 10-4 <laughs> in the end, right? Yeah. What about you, Helge? What, what's the German vision of the match last night? <laughs> that's, that's what I would have gone for now as well. Like, like, if they would have had Lewandowski in there as an example, or even Gnabry, but like, let's like, stick with Lewandowski, like, they could have easily been another game kind of like they had last season against Barcelona where they won 8-2. Like, it's a little exaggerated, but like, I, I saw at the end it was 31 shots to 6, I think. Yeah. Um, I saw that Marquinhos in the first half hour after, like before he had to get uh, subbed out, he had uh, seven clearance, clearances and I think four blocked shots. Like just him alone, it was was a crazy defensive effort for them. Um, and in the end, like Bayern has had struggles with the defense during during this uh, season and in, in the Bundesliga as well, but they were always capable of, of scoring more goals than the opposition team and this time just didn't work out and I think it's uh, like clear that it's it's that like Chupomuteng just doesn't have the the quality as uh, Lewandowski for example has there's also the fact that Goretzka had to go out who's also a threat on goal um, he got injured in the first half um, and then in the end um, that is the biggest difference there it's kind of like the individual class up front was missing for for Bayern in this game but I I would like to, to, to add a, a few points uh, on what uh, Elge just said. First of all, it, it, it's really interesting the, the, what Pochettino, the choices of Pochettino uh, at, the, at, the, at the beginning of the game. I mean, the tactics uh, he, he chose with uh, aligning four very offensive players uh, at the beginning. You had Neymar playing as a, as a playmaker, then on his right you had Di Maria, uh, Draxler on the left, and up front. Mbappe, the, the idea of Pochettino was he, he didn't want to, um, how do you say, um, he, he wanted to keep the ball as much as possible. He, do, he didn't want to defend that much uh, versus uh, Bayern. He knew it was a, 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 an impossible tactics to, to play for 90 minutes versus Bayern, but in the end, it failed. Uh, uh, PSG uh, defended the best way they could for, for 90 minutes. And, but, and I'm going to be uh, ironic here. All it took for PSG was three good passes. If you look at the at the at the at the three goals that PSG scored, uh, the first one is a, is a good. It's, it all starts with a Di Maria who, who, who make a good opening for um, uh, for um, Neymar. Neymar gives a great pass to Mbappe. Honestly, the shot by Mbappe is not that great. It's a, it's more like a mistake of Manuel Neuer on the first goal. The second goal is a incredible pass by, by Neymar to, to Marquinhos. And the third goal is almost like the first one. It uh, all starts with Draxler uh, in the middle. He gives a good pass to Di Maria. The opening from Di Maria is great for, for Mbappe. So all it took for PSG were three good passes in the end. Well, I'm being, I'm being a bit too much here, but uh, on purpose, right? Not really, I think it's, I think it's quite, quite, a, quite a good analysis of it. Like in, in the end, like I, I was always like thinking afterwards, it's, was kind of a game of individual class or at least performances um, winning over the system yesterday. Kind of like Neuer 
didn't have have his best day. That you also had like this scene where he came running out and uh, almost missed the ball there, like when he wanted to clear it. But yeah, it was a clear mistake from 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 my side from Neuer in the first goal, and also like Mbappe with these great runs that he did, or like the two goals he scored when he like the third one he did, um, outplaying um, Boateng and and Alaba as well, who didn't really get there in time to to double him. Is that the English word for double? But I like to to cover him with two people. Um, but uh, and also on the other side it was Keira Navas, you know, who was oh, having a really really good evening there, saving so many shots from Bayern. So that it's kind of like this. This were like the stories of the game to me. Yeah, Navas was the complete opposite of of Neuer, I guess. But I'd like to touch on, on one point that you brought up um, of Marquinhos, his numbers. And I, I mean, I'm already, uh, the season's far from over, but I'm already uh, choosing Marquinhos as the best Brazilian in European football this season, unless, you know, Neymar or someone else surprises me at the end of the season, because he's been amazing defensively, in the midfield, uh, up ahead. And... Actually, yesterday he was having one of his best matches ever when he actually, unfortunately, had, well, fortunate for Bar- for Bayern maybe, had to leave the match with an injury. And before that, Hansi Flick had already done a substitution and then he did another one. So we had already three substitutions in the first half of the match. Which one do you think was the most influential? The, they had the most impact on the match. Uh, Davis coming out go for coming in for Goretzka or Marquinhos coming out. What do you think, Helga? Um, in the end, I would. It's tough to say because the, the the end result was was the same kind of uh, when it comes to the result um, from the change of the game. I, I mean, PSG continued as they they were before. Um, Maybe, I disagree. maybe he could have, you know. Um, yeah, well, what did we say? I think Tomat oh, disagree, right? Sorry, go ahead. Go, uh, go no, ahead. No, I disagree, can... but, uh, but it's interesting. Go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> no, in the end, like, you know, they, they kept on, you know, they, they had to play a lot of the defensive football there. I uh, don't know if Marquinhos could have helped them, you know, not concede uh, the two goals that they in the end conceded. For Bayern, it was that um, Flick, I think he would have made that change either way uh, without the injury, um, maybe a little later on, because he also said after the game they were really hoping to get another winger in and more pressure over, over the left side. And I think they could have made that change, at least, you know, um, taking out Hernandez or putting him in the um, in the middle more if they wanted to take out Alaba, for example. Um, but like the, the change with Davis would have uh, happened uh, either way. Um and it, it kind of worked like they they were a threat from there. I think it was a pity that Goretzka had to go out because um, he really is a threat on goal as well, which um, Alaba in this game wasn't as much. Um, so I think that was like both of those impacted the the result as well. Tomat disagrees, right? Well, I, I disagree because of course I'm a, I'm a bit partial here, and of course I look at PSG probably more than at, uh, than I looked at Bayern, but. To me, the, the, the substitution of Marquinhos changed uh, also the, a bit the dynamic of the game because, first of all, wh- what a goal that Marquinhos uh, scored. <laughs> a centre-forward goal. It, it's, right, only, only a Brazilian defender can score such a goal. It's, it's incredible. It's almost like a Lewandowski goal. I mean, the, the first touch, the control is amazing. Uh, I mean, 
if you if you had a Kipembe in the same position, I think the ball would have gone uh, 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 behind the line, right, uh, before he could shoot at uh, at, uh, at Neuer. And also, he was cool as a cucumber, clinical in front of Neuer. If you look at the at the at the, at the action, there is Mbappe uh, on his uh, right hand side, and he could have passed the ball to Mbappe. Honestly, personally, that's what I would have done in front of Emmanuel Neuer. I would have been too scared as a central defender to to take a chance uh, versus uh, Neuer. But he, he, it was beautiful. And then, um, more seriously, so um, Marquinhos uh, has been injured or was injured from almost the very beginning of the game. And, he, and But as Elger said before, he, he really managed very well to block uh, the, 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 chance, the chances of, uh, of Bayern Munich at the, at the beginning of the game. And then, when he had to, to, to be substituted to go out, he was replaced in central defense by, uh, by, by Danilo, who is originally a, a, a defensive midfielder. So first of all, it's, a, it's a, like a heads up or a big up to Thomas Tuchel, who, almost, uh, who always thought that Danilo was a better central defender than, uh, than a defensive midfielder. And if you look at the two goals that Bayern scored, to me, it came from miscommunication or misplacement of Danilo and Kipembe on those two crosses that uh, ended up on the on the heads of um, of uh, Chupomoting and Thomas Müller. So, to me, the replacement of Marquinhos had a huge impact on the on the goal uh, on the on the game and permitted, in a way, to Bayern Munich to score their two goals. Yeah, no doubt that he was <clears throat> influential in in his defending. There, it's just. Um, I was talking like over the like overall view of um or like of the overall um how the game went like Bayern being the team pressuring he was the last one in defense maybe he could have helped in these two chances in the end like there were so many shots on goal that yes, that's <laughs> I true. doubt he could have blocked them all that's that more, more my point there like I don't think as like a central back like if if you're under such pressure like you can't keep like the pressure, like, but it's like 30 shots on goal, you can't keep every ball out there. No, and, yeah, I agree with you, but I'm pretty confident on th that on those two crosses, he would have cleared the ball, uh, you know, with his head. And unfortunately, Danilo and Kimpembe were not able to do to do so. But I'm pretty sure Marquinhos would have helped on those two situations that ended up in, in Bayern uh, goals. Nice. We're, we're building up some controversy here. I like it. <laughs> so, Thomas, six goals in the last three matches and matches against Bayern Munich and Barcelona. I mean, I guess Mbappé shut the mouth of everyone that was criticizing him when he wasn't scoring for like six or seven matches in January, right? Yeah, it, but once again, and perhaps uh, he didn't uh, shut my mouth because I'm not going to be uh, as, uh, uh, how do you say... Uh, uh, optimistic or, or, or positive as you as you are, because if you look at his game carefully, uh, as I said, the first goal uh, is scored. The his shot on Neuer is pretty poor, and uh, uh, and thank goodness uh, uh, Neuer made a made a big mistake. And then um, there is also in the at the beginning of the second half there is a beautiful pass um, uh, by Neymar. Uh, behind the back of the of the Bayern defense, but um, Mbappe didn't read the game uh, carefully, and he and he made himself uh, offside quite naively. And and then of course there is this second goal, absolutely uh, beautiful. It reminded me of the of the goal Mbappe scored in the in the 2018 World Cup final uh, against Croatia. Uh, 
And after the game, Mbappe also explained that um, Pochettino had asked him to to pressure, to put some pressure on the on the Bayern defense in order to cut the passing line uh, with Kimmich. And honestly, it didn't happen during the game. So his defensive uh, involvement, we, we can discuss. And of course, at the end of the game, he scored two goals. He was decisive. He broke new records. So of course, it's all you, you, you can expect and all you ask from, from Mbappe, but Honestly, he can still improve. And that's the great thing with Mbappe. He's only 21 years old. He can improve in, in many aspects of his, um, of, his, uh, his, of his way of playing. For instance, we, we know he says that he wants to play as a, as a, as a striker. I think he still has to improve uh, in order to, to, to do so. Because if you look at the second goal, that's pure Mbappe as we know him so far. I mean, he, he took some speed on the left side. Uh, it was really quick on the on the left side. Then he goes back on his right hand side, and it's clinical. But for for Mbappe, whenever Mbappe is um, playing against very low uh, defenses, it's, and it was not the case yesterday against Bayern, he had the the chance to 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 make some runs, some very good runs. But whenever he's playing versus very low defensive, very low blocks, as we saw with the French national team, for instance, during the international break, he has difficulties. So, yeah, but in the end, of course, he broke new records. He scored two goals, one of them being beautiful. So it was a great game by Mbappe. And what do you think about Neymar's performance? I mean, he hadn't played for almost two months, uh, played one match for Ligue 1, which he didn't play well. Then he comes in, didn't really score, but two assists. What do you think about that? Uh, honestly, to me, in the, in, the, in the final result, M uh, Neymar is as important as Mbappe in the final result. If you look at, it, uh, uh, at his game, uh, of course he didn't score, but he, he made two beautiful passes uh, for, for Marquinhos in the first half and for Mbappe in the, in the second half. And even more importantly, uh, as a playmaker, he, he, he gave PSG the opportunity to keep the ball sometimes and to move the entire block forward when PSG was struggling in, in defense. So, yeah, he was really um, instrumental in the, in the win yesterday. And on top of that, his attitude was really good, uh, I mean, on the pitch. And as you know, with Neymar, sometimes the attitude is, uh, is a problem. As yeah, we, we saw, saw that uh, on the weekend. Exactly. But, and, and unfortunately, how, how do we interpret this? It's like, it seems that sometimes he chooses his games. And yesterday night, he, he chose his game versus uh, Bayern, and he was, he was really good. He was really good. Well, but it was a 3-2 for Paris Saint-Germain, away from home, in Munich, three goals, pretty hard defeat for Bayern, but after all, it is Bayern Munich. Helge, can they still make it? And can they still make it without Lewandowski? I think that's that's a good question there. If, <clears throat> if they manage next time to to score more goals, because that was obviously a big problem yesterday. Um, in the end, like if you if you look at how well they they were at creating chances, like there's definitely a chance that they that they score more goals uh, in the next one. And so I, I think it's quite open actually who's going to make it to the next round. Um, the difference could be as well that I think PSG is going to have some players coming back within time for the next game whereas uh, Lewandowski yesterday said he's not going to make it 
Uh, Gnabry, with his uh, COVID infection, I don't think he's going to be there either. Like, it would be really a big surprise. Um, so there's not much changing up there up front for Bayern um, when it comes to their setup. So, yeah, maybe the, the hope will have to be that Chupomoting is going to have um, a more clinical day in his, in his um, like, and how, and how he's taking chances um, or that someone else can step up. But um, yeah, that's like the bigger difference, I think. In Brazil, there's a thing that we call the X law. The player that used to play for that team, the X player from that team, <laughs> always scores when they play against their former team. And when I saw that uh, Topo Moti was going to be the one replacing Lewandowski, I was like, okay, we got an X law coming. And you know. it's, uh, it, it's the joke in Paris, especially with Paris Saint Germain. Every time a player uh, leaves Paris Saint Germain, you can be sure he's going to score against Paris Saint Germain in the, in the following game. Well, for it's, it's they, he's going to have to score a bit more if they want to go through. But if I if I if I may uh, if I may, Joanna, like uh, if you look at the stats, the the stats speak clearly in favor of PSG for the for the return game. I think 95% of the teams winning the first leg 3-2 away in a, in a knockout phase game have qualified. Uh, and it's also interesting to note that the three, the last three losses of Bayern Munich in knockout phase games, they were in, in 2017, 18 and 19, they were against the future winner of the Champions League. It was against Real Madrid and against Liverpool. But, and there is, a, there is a famous joke in France that the letters PSG, they stand for pas sûr de gagner, no insurance to win. And if you, if you look at what happened with PSG over the past seasons against Barcelona, against Manchester United, or even the last game uh, in, the, in the, round of the, the round of 16 uh, against Barcelona, that this team has no certainty yet in Champions League. <laughs> And the, the return game against Bayern can be completely different. So, yeah, I agree with Helge. It's very open. It's very open. The other match last night, I think it, it's the only match that we can say for sure or with more assurance that is already decided. Chelsea 2, Porto Neal. Chelsea scoring two goals away from home. I was actually expecting more from that match, even if it was the two underdogs, because I thought that they play, they did really good round of 16, so I was expecting more. But I was a bit disappointed, but more like it was very unfair, wasn't it? I mean, Helga, you watched the match. Tomá, I think he didn't even give the trouble, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, I was, I was analyzing the PSG Bayern Munich for you, Joanna. Uh, thanks. Well, well, then Helge did his homework. He watched everything. Helge, was that unfair? Uh, well, yeah, I, watched, I finished watching it like today before the before the shift like, this morning. Um, before my, but I started for work. Um, but yeah, um, in the end, it was it was really unlucky. Like kind of like the same, less extreme, but the same picture was uh, PSG Bayern with like one team having more, way more chances, and the other than one being. Um, way more clinical when it came to taking them um kind of starting out with porto just like you know typical underdog play of like okay we're sitting back we're going to see um what chelsea does in attack but then they were um they managed really well to control the, the midfield and having um chelsea not really connecting their midfield or like as uh, tuchel said afterwards like the seven build-up players with the three up front they really didn't connect well and that gave Porto more and more uh, confidence to then attack themselves. 
and they had like eight to one shots at halftime. I noted down here. So they they conceded like with the with the one shot they actually conceded the goal. Yeah. And later on it was like I think the like they only I don't have the exact stats here, but like Chelsea had like like two or three like they had the Pulisic uh crossbar shot and like the the actual second goal I think that was mostly it. So yeah, very very unlucky for, for Porto had the, the majority of chances there. Yeah, they had the majority of chances, but they weren't very effective. They were shooting like everywhere. Uh, so I think it was missing a little bit of, you know, target there. But definitely, yeah. Yeah. Well, on the other hand, from Charles, from Chelsea, they had less shots, but they did manage to score. And that Mason Mount turn where he get the ball and he turns super fast. That reminded me a little bit of uh, Thiago Alcantara. He used to do that a lot in Bayern, didn't he? Yeah, but the first touch would just like they take the ball and like move it right into the space where he wants to start into. It was like one of those few moments where like Porto, who was sometimes defending with like six at the back, uh, I think at that point as well. But they had like this little space right right in between there. Uh, Jorginho found it a good pass also that he put it outside that that center back. I think it was Saidu. He put it outside a little bit, and then with the first touch, Mount managed to just go past him and, and get into a not that easy to, uh, position for, for a shot. He, re- he needed to be really, really precise there. He was, and um, like even like more precise than actually like a, like a forceful shot, but yeah, like really well done by him. And how about Havertz and Vanner? I mean, I think this is the, the topic of the season for Chelsea. They still don't seem to have found their place. They, I expected more from them in their match as well. Uh, what do you think is missing for them? What's the problem for In general, like, I, I think um, for Werner, it is really a, a matter of, like he said so as well, I think like, it's a matter of him adjusting to the new situation there and um, then just, um, like, he's too much in his head. He's, like, he's, he's thinking a lot about, you know, the, the uh, struggles he's having in front of the goal. Um, there was a story during the game that was uh, told by the commentator that um, he wanted to, to uh, do extra training after the, the normal sessions. That he wanted to just like get into scoring positions and you know like finishing and just and just work on that. And Tuchel told him like, no, don't do that. Like you don't need to. You know how to do this. Like you're like technically and like you know from your abilities you're, you're completely able to do this like you had 28 goals at uh, at Leipzig you obviously know how to score goals it is a matter of you know like just overthinking it of like trying too hard maybe and then you know just just bottling it um he always had like some struggles with like maybe not not finishing the, the easy ones um but he always managed to to get enough chances to to actually then have um this situation right after again where he then scored so he came like to to this big goal tally I think that's a little bit missing there at Chelsea for him a lot of like a question of confidence um for Havertz I think um he had a he had a tough start as well like with the um COVID infection that he had and like you know like not really getting into a rhythm then under um Lampard he struggled like Lampard struggled to find a position for Havertz which is Always a little bit difficult as well. Like, like he looked for the right position at, at Leverkusen as well a little bit. Like if he's like completely up front as a false nine, or if he's like more of a number ten, or like more like an offensive uh, midfielder, like a central midfielder that you know like like uh, runs into space. I think 
like he at Leverkusen he had the like he was lucky that he or like he had the good circumstances that he um, had a team where where he where they could create like a the perfect environment for him to actually get to his best. Whereas as uh, at Chelsea he they're trying to fit him in into like the the other system, and they also have to find other players that that need to they need to accommodate it. Like like Mount is there, like that is uh, up front, like in t- kind of like going into the same spaces as he normally would. Um, and that's like a matter of finding like the right spot for him and also like him getting into the rhythm after after a, a difficult start. Well, let, let's hope they find their place in the team because uh, Chelsea is almost in the semifinal without these two best hires they did in the summer. If they find their, their best football there, well, they, they have some future. Uh, moving on to Real Madrid 3, Liverpool 1. Another match that I think... Uh, well, we can't really say that even if Real Madrid played their best football and it's a two-goal difference, we can't really say it's decided because Liverpool is not on their best, but they still have Salah, Mane. Um, but at, if anyone has listened to me on this podcast before, they know that I'm a big Vinicius Jr. fan. And I have to say, kudos to Vinny yesterday on Tuesday, but what a match he played. What do you have to say about that, Tomas? <coughs> To be to be fair and to be transparent, I didn't have the opportunity to 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 watch the game uh, entirely. I just watched the the highlights, and of course, I, I read a, a few articles uh, and match reports after the after the game. And of course, everyone was uh, was praising Vinicius for his um, for his uh, clean uh, finishing on on the two goals he scored. What I I note, and it's the first time. It's, uh, I have to admit, I've never been a, a big fan of Vinicius uh, so far because I think this, this this player was perhaps lacking some consistency in in front of the goal and um, on Tuesday night he managed to 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 improve definitely what I noted first of all is the the, the, the opening the first pass on the first goal is amazing I think it's Tony Cross I think yeah yes that it's, was a great pass unbelievable it's what you usually see in the nfl uh, from uh, the best quarterbacks uh, before a touchdown and it was definitely a touchdown pass to, to to vinicius and what i and the same for modric modric was uh, instrumental on the on the second uh, the second goal scored by, by vinicius what i note as well but it's not about real madrid it's about liverpool to me the, the three goals they they they, they, they conceded originated from poor defending uh, on on the Liverpool side and I'm, I'm wondering more globally if we are not watching like the end of of, uh, of this uh, Liverpool momentum after two, two three seasons where they were at the top this season is way more difficult for for Liverpool especially uh, on the defense uh, side do you agree Helga do you think that is the the downfall of Liverpool <clears throat> I I wouldn't go this far for you know like to like put like a general uh, judgment there because there's also some players missing, um, you know, in Van Dijk most obviously, but like also that they they, they were having troubles and like like uh, playing regularly in in one formation there. But yesterday it was clearly it was the defense was especially in the first half all over the place. There were um, several scenes like like what uh Thomas was just describing like there was um uh, they were really successful with these long passes also Courtois was like almost uh, assisting a goal there 
once um, they they really attacked the spaces behind Liverpool and and Klopp des like described it really well afterwards. They didn't manage to put any pressure in midfield. Like they could take take those passes. Like they really had time to to aim for them, like to to you know like don't put them under pressure or like um, pass them under pressure. And they aimed at the at the space behind Liverpool, who was playing really far up, but without putting the pressure. And that was really dangerous because they could start behind it. They attacked the space uh, behind Trent Alexander-Arnold a lot. Seemed like they identified this as like a as maybe a defensive weakness of Alexander Arnold trying to to go forward a lot and then maybe moving in behind there with Vinicius Junior, and yeah, it was also um, when you look at um, uh, the third goal where um, no uh, no no sorry yeah the third goal was like the the throw in I think where um, they they really didn't attack or like go into any tackles at all against um, the, the Real Madrid players or Kabak even almost causing a, uh, another uh, like a, a penalty there there was like a lot of stuff not working out in the defense there and also like some of it originated from the lack of pressure in midfield so might as well be like a, a intensity problem that they had there I think they also ran up against the Real Madrid at their best because Real Madrid has been so inconsistent the whole season and then finally you see the midfield making the difference and you see Real Madrid playing super well, like you know they're capable of. And, you know, they, they, I think they also change, change the shirt they use when they play Champions League, you know? They play a more heavy shirt, but they still manage to hold it up. So they were in a bit of a bad luck, maybe. That, yeah, but also like, I, I think the second half Liverpool showed that they can be a threat in the in the next game because Klopp changed it up a little bit. You know, like he brought up, he brought in Firmino for for Kabak, moved and uh, no, Firmino for Kabak, Fabinho moved to centre back, and then with Vinaldum and Thiago in the the central midfield, and Firmino as like the uh, offensive midfielder. He was behind then Diego Jota and um, like Salah Mane. Like, it was way more offensive, but it, it worked way better for, for Liverpool. So I think um, there might even be a, an option for the, the second game, at least, if they get to the later stage and they need the goals more desperately. Exactly. I, I, I agree with, uh, with, with what you guys have said. I just would like to precise what I, what I said earlier. I'm, I'm not pretending that it's the, the end of the Liverpool era, but we, we all know it's so complicated to stay at the top uh, uh, more than two or three seasons uh, in, a, in a row because of the, the injuries, because of, uh, of several factors. But it's true that those two teams, they have Champions League DNA uh, running, running into their veins. And definitely, even though uh, um, Liverpool lost 3-1 uh, at, at, at Real Madrid, they definitely can... Uh, can make a difference at the uh, at the, uh, the return game, definitely. Yeah, I believe that even if Real Madrid was superior and they could have scored more goals, you cannot give Liverpool as you know being that for the second match. I think they're still gonna they they got what it takes to come for a fight. And uh, going back to what you said about the Tony Kroos pass, um, Thomas. I once saw an interview where with Clarence Seedorf that to me one of the best midfielders I've seen and with a great pass and he was saying actually he was saying in portuguese because his wife is brazilian and he speaks perfect portuguese 
he was saying that uh, everyone praises Tony Cross so much that he's a wonderful player that he never misses any passes is that like 98% of the passes right every match but he only gives short passes and to players that are around him but that wasn't exactly a short pass to a player around him and that was a perfect one right <laughs> Yeah, like, I think that's it. I think it's not a really fair um, judgment, of course. Like he, like he has that, like that image here as well. He does a lot of these passes, definitely, but he's also capable. I think last time I was on the on the podcast, maybe we talked about the last Champions League games where he was able to create. Like he moved away from the ball, created some some options for the players to just uh, just change the sides of the of where the ball was on the field. And yesterday you saw that he is also capable of. of like yeah, playing these quarterback passes, as as Thomas put it. Well, if Real Madrid play what they played against Liverpool, if Tony Kroos, Vinicius, I mean, if the whole team plays like that, Barcelona doesn't stand a chance against them in the weekend. What do you think, Thomas? Um, I think it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to watch. As usual, uh, every football fan in the world. Uh, wants to wants to watch uh, a classico game or, to, or at least uh, the, the two classico in the, in La Liga every season. Sometimes just because it's El Clasico, right? But uh, um, this season, of course, it's even more in, in interesting and, and important to watch because it could also be decisive uh, for the for the for the for the title, right? So no, definitely on Saturday I'm gonna I'm gonna watch very carefully, but I'm I have no idea or no prediction on on who's gonna win uh, this uh, this classico on Saturday. I was talking to Vitor here in the newsroom, and he was saying that this classico is gonna define the winner because Atletico only has one point advantage, and they used to have eleven at some point in the competition. Do you agree with that, Helge? Do you think that this classico defines who takes the the, the title home? Um. Could very well be so, yeah, because like, also I think uh, Atleti is playing Betis on the next match day, which is not an easy game. Uh, if I remember correctly, Suarez is out for it. I uh, think a, Suarez fifth, is out, with yes. Fifth yellow, with a fifth yellow card. Um, it's really, yeah, it's not going to be easy for Atleti and like, with, the, with the way they played recently. They seem to also struggle a little bit with the nerves. Um, yeah, it could very well be decided in the Clásico who's, who's going to win the league, yeah. Okay, going back to the Champions League, last match we had this week, Manchester City 2, Borussia Dortmund 1. I was a bit disappointed by this match as well. First, because both teams are very offensive teams. They play very open, very forward, and that wasn't exactly what we saw. But most of it, because I thought Manchester City was going to you know, have a party. Not that Dortmund is a bad team, but you know, Manchester City is Man City. They can play with their substitute team. What did you would you expecting more against uh, from City against Dortmund as well? What do you say, Helge? Um, well, with Dortmund, it's like I definitely expected a clearer result, but with Dortmund, it's always so tough to to predict how their matches are gonna go because like one week they're playing amazing football and like a really everything clicks for them, and then the next one they they tie against Cologne or just lose terribly against Eintracht Frankfurt so it's always it's a very roller coaster up and down season for them so it was I was more excited of like to see what which of their like two faces they're gonna they're gonna show in this game 
And uh, what about that foul? That was what Judy, Jude Bellingham and Edison outside the box, and it was, a, I mean, a clear goal, and it was a foul. Was that really a foul? Um, um, honestly, I would I would have to 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 read the the regulations once again, but uh, and perhaps it, it's it is a fall if you follow the the, the rules and the regulation uh, by the letter. But to me, it was against the spirit of the of the game, because uh, to me there was no fault. There was no fault. Bellingham is uh, is first on the ball, and then the the goalkeeper shoots uh, Bellingham uh, feet. Uh, to me, there is there is no fault at all. What did you think, Helga? I think it's a like personally. I would. I'm very. It's it's difficult because he gets to the ball as Thomas said earlier, and uh, and also there's some time passing until he hits or uh, is hit by by Ederson. Um, it is one of those situations where he's coming from up top and like with the sole of his foot kind of, you know, stepping onto the, the shooting motion of, of Ederson. So that is really tough. Um, what I'm very disappointed about is by the, the action of the referee in, in stopping the game before the goal was scored. Because if he would have just waited until the goal is scored, then given it a foul, he could have at least checked it at the VAR. Or the VAR could have, you know, given um, its opinion on it. Um, and in that case, I still think they would have kept with the ruling on the field, um, because if the if the referee is convinced that this is a foul or that he that he would um, say that this is um, yeah like, a, like the, one of those like situations that I, as I described like where the the player who who gets the ball is just kind of um, like moving with his sole on the foot on, on top of the other player's foot, then. He, they would have just stayed with the with the result. I don't think it's a clear mistake in the sense because then like VR could have could have overruled it, but I don't think um, this this is like the, the the outcome it would have had if they would have checked it. They would have just gone like okay, it's not a clear mistake. We just move on with a decision that was on the field. Yeah, but, but it could have changed the game because it was. I think yeah. it was still new nil, and you you open the game with a goal like that. It could have had changed the history of the game completely, right, Thomas? Yeah, definitely. I completely agree with you, Joanna, because uh, looking at watching the game, I was more impressed by the Dortmund performance uh, yeah. rather than the, the Manchester City performance. And, and, and Dortmund made, to me, a very smart and intelligent uh, game in order to, uh, to annoy Manchester City. And they were very close. They were very close of, of making a big result uh, in, in, in Man City. And definitely, as you said, this particular action uh, probably change the, the, the final outcome. Okay, I had this question ready for Helge, but since you gave such a good analysis, what do you think, Thomas, that Manchester, that Borussia Dortmund, that Edin Terzic needs to do to stop Manchester City in the second match? But now they are, they need to score. Uh, they need to score at least two goals, and uh, no, it's just one. It's just one goal. Oh, yeah, you're right. Of course, uh, one goal. But then. Yeah. Against Manchester City, uh, you, you'd better uh, score two or three goals because you're probably gonna gonna yeah. see uh, uh, one. So now it's gonna be an, an interesting game as well because both teams need to need to score, I guess. And 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 Dortmund in the Bundesliga it doesn't have such an easy life either because there's that you just mentioned Helga they lost to Eintracht Frankfurt very important match that could have put them right at the edge of the you know Champions League qualifying zone now they're seven points behind the Champions League qualifying zone seven matches to go 
They might get eliminated by City in the Champions League. Uh, what do you think is up for them in the next season? Are they playing Europa League? And actually, more importantly, if they don't play Champions League next season, does Haaland stay? Uh, I, I'm very sure that they're going to go into the Europa League, first of all. <laughs> like the seven points, it's, uh, it's, it's very tough on them. Frankfurt is having a really good season. They're really consistent as well in the, in the uh, last, uh, like, almost two dozen games um they they are gonna have uh, struggles financially in the sense that they also need to rebuild their team they're gonna get a new coach in so the question is on this corona transfer market how much they can get for for which player they very clearly said that they don't want to let Haaland go and i think also they should try everything to keep him because he is the like a very like the decisive player for them and maybe you have Sancho there as well in, in that discussion but Sancho is very likely going to going to go and they they seem to be open about leaving, uh, letting him go cuz they they will need to um have one big sell in the next summer just to just to get some money in for for transfers but also to, to overcome the the big minus they're making uh with the um empty stadia and like the the corona Uh, consequences now of course even more um of a of a minus uh looking at um not like if they don't qualify for for the uh, champions league so it is it is very open what they're going to do i think a lot of players are up for sale in the end um that are not Haaland. but if they don't manage to to let those go for it for a decent price And it also depends on what what Mino Raiola, his agent, is going to do. How much of a fuss he's he's putting up. Um, if they really want to force Holland out, question is also if they find a club that can actually pay um, what da Dortmund and the player is asking. Because um, this is also like a lot of teams are struggling. Like they were talking with Barcelona and Real Madrid, both teams who actually need to reduce their wage, uh, their their spending on on wages. Um, so I don't know if it's even possible this summer to, to for him to make this big move. Um, so yeah, it's, it's very open still. What, what's going to happen there? Yeah, with the season that he's playing, uh, and you know, Mino Raiola, I think he has he can ask for a lot. And I think we're not the only ones impressed with Haaland in the pitch because after the match, he was uh, asked by a referee to give an autograph. What happened there? Actually, it turned out it was was way more harmless than than it first seemed because it was like, is he a fan? What the hell is he doing? Um, later, it turned out that he um, the the lineman is uh, supporting a charity that is uh, helping um, kids with autism in in his uh, home area. Like I don't know, if it's the hometown, but like at least the region where he's from. And so he apparently does that at uh, all the big games he's going to. He's getting some. Uh, memorabilia from the players that then are being auctioned off to support this this charity. So actually, in the end, it was was way more harmless than the the first reactions uh, made us all believe. <laughs> See how yeah, good it I, is. Sorry, what? I, I think uh, I think it's um, I don't want to say pretty common, but it happened already in the past with some referees. And as uh, Elgar described, some referees have their own um, association or, or charities. And sometimes it happened with a French referee in the past. He was asking for players for the for their jerseys uh, at halftime sometimes. 
so it, it could have been it was a bit disturbing but it's it's, it's so it's not it's not new and it's quite uh, it's quite common I think, but, uh, I think, the, I think maybe the, at halftime you don't need to do it. Like you should focus on the game. <laughs> <laughs> but but after the game, but, I think it's completely fine when you're done with you, everything. But, and like, but but you know that halftime you can get one jersey. Then the player can uh, put a, a second jersey on, and uh, at the end true, of the game true, he's true. gonna give his jersey to a player. So perhaps halftime is the best time to ask for a jersey. <laughs> uh, to a player. The spare one. Exactly, the spare one. Well, good thing that I invited some well-informed guests for today because I was ready to make jokes and have make fun out of the referee, but it was actually a very noble <laughs> cause. <laughs> but, you know, it, it, it reminded me of some, it, I think the worst uh, case was like, uh, have you ever heard the, these stories of the 1992 Olympics with the dream team in basketball uh, playing in Barcelona and there were some opponents taking memorabilia pictures during the game. <laughs> oh, during the game, it's a bit During too much. The game. Like the Angola team, there were some Angola substitutes uh, going in the on the on the court to take some pictures with the the American players in their back. You know, like, I was there. <laughs> I was there. Okay, we, we have a living witness of that. <laughs> well, during the game, I think it's a bit too much, but you know what? With what Highland has been doing in the pitch, I don't, I don't doubt that maybe in the break some player is gonna come to him and ask for a selfie before they go to the dressing room next matches. Well, uh, thanks a lot, guys. It was really great talking to you. It was great matches, and uh, hope to see some more exciting matches next week as well. 